I'm going to skip some of my intro and review is mainly what it was. I'm just going to sit down for a moment here. <clears throat> I'm, in a sense, struggling with this message because it's such an important one in the eyes of God. And so I'm, I'm feeling the Philippians verse I did last week. I was going to use it as part of the review. And um, Caleb, if we can just go straight to that verse. Um, I feel like I'm living it to a degree. Um, Philippians chapter 2 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So I have that, I have that sense right now of fear, tr- fear and trembling. Because me, a mere man, I'm trying to describe to you that God deserves our worship, that he is that holy and perfect. He is that powerful and above all other, others. And I'm trying to describe this to you to motivate you and me to worship him wholeheartedly. And I know I'm just a mere man. I'm just a creature created in his image, thank God. But I'm a mere man, and I don't, I don't know if I, I can't do this. This is, has to be from the Spirit of God, not just working through me, but working on your ears and eyes and your heart. This is, this is something is a supernatural transaction. The, this, the story we have out of David taking the ark into Jerusalem is the perfect story. It fits so well, and yet knowledge is not enough. This is, this is a transaction between you and the Holy Spirit. And so there is this fear and trembling that I have that I, I'm approaching this subject. I, I feel so inadequate, and yet I feel... Call to the task. I feel like I'm in God's perfect will this morning. So with God's, so there, there is this fear of the Lord, and that's what was last Sunday's message out of the first part of the story with David, is that he was reminded, oh, the fear of the Lord is this fear and trembling that we live a life before God where we seek his wisdom. Don't you dare try to live your life without his wisdom. Don't don't even think about it. And David brought this ark just, let's have a big celebration, and it was huge, 30,000 liters plus people beyond that. It was huge, all the music, it was just done upright, but they didn't dig into God's word. Folks, don't live life without digging into God's word and getting wisdom because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And so David blew it that day. They And his, his priests, I mean, somebody... Just read and study God's word. Dig a little bit. You'll find the instructions on how to move the ark. It was supposed to be a certain 
set of priests, and they had the poles to put on their shoulders. I mean, they just missed it big time. It's supposed to be covered up. All the instructions were there. They totally missed it. Isn't that a shame? Uzzah touched the ark. He's not supposed to. That's just the ironic priests when they're in the temple, I mean, in the, in the tabernacle worshiping. Nobody's supposed to touch. God is holy. You follow his instructions. That's what that was about. God is holy. We are not. Follow his instructions. And so the beginning, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of holiness. And you think, that's, that's just, I'm doing a little review right now. As you can tell, that's, that's just Old Testament stuff, right? Well, no, this verse in Philippians 2 says that, hey, it, it, this is Paul writing. Paul writes that, hey, we're saved by faith through grace. It's not by your works. It's only by the blood of Jesus. He's not talking about working your salvation out of good works. That's not what this scripture is about, okay? This scripture in Philippians 2, let's throw it back up there again, is us living a life that is constantly being redeemed and purified and sanctified to be more like Christ. And, it's, and, and he is holy and perfect. And we, we realize, oh gosh, I can't do this on my own. I'm, I'm just a mere man. I'm just a mere woman. I can't do this in my own strength. Lord God, I depend totally on your grace that comes from the blood, that you, the sacrifice you made, and that blood cleanses me. So by faith, I am clean. By faith, I am righteous. By faith, you give me the grace to live out this day. And, and the next verse is, is so encouraging that, yes, it is, it's humbling, but for it is God who works in you to both will and to do his good pleasure. We can't do this in our own strength, folks. So there is this utter reliance on God even to want to worship today. That if you rely on your own strength, it's just not going to happen. Our lives get beat up, you know, during the day by this world. That's attacking. The enemy is attacking. The enemy, the devil hates you. He has plans every week, a weekly strategy to discourage you to uh, knock you out, to get you out of the game, to get you out of fellowship with the body believers. He's got a strategy. And so we're in this battle. And so if you leave this, uh, if you just depend on your own strength without going, your, your heart will start getting callous, though Jesus lives there by his spirit. Your flesh will start gaining more strength if you don't take up his cross daily and follow him. And there's, there's this, this battle during the day, during the week, and, and, and we need God to both will and, then, and to do. So to just have the desire, the will, the determination is from God and then to follow up with action. And so this prayer about being revitalized in worship, I know it's, it's, it's got to be him working in us. It's not something that's too holy and pure uh, for us to be able to uh, build this, you know, a, a life of worship seven days a week. And I know a two-part series is not enough, and 
we'll get through the David series and we'll do a three-part series on worship. We're already starting to plan and that's not enough. It's a transaction of the Holy Spirit. And it's day by day, it's little by little, but you know what? God can do a powerful, quick work and take us and leap us into another place. Then we got to live day by day there. God can surprise you in your home when you're thinking about something else and he draws and you sense a little drawing to just get away by yourself for a moment, even if it's not your normal devotional time, even if it's just go ahead and do it because God can surprise you with an encounter of his Holy Spirit that you realize, oh, God is alive. It's not just about corporate worship and in that series in September, Lord willing, we're going to have a focus on just personal one-on-one worship with God. That's what we do day in and day out. That's what we do as a lifestyle. We want to focus on worship with our family, our children, our spouses. Worship with uh, friends that are in the home, where our home becomes a ministry center. And that's all the early church knew. All they knew was house church settings. That's, they didn't have buildings. And so in small groups, and sometimes they'd cram up and get as big as many people as they could in a home where there's worship in our homes. And then corporate worship. I mean, we're reading one of the largest corporate worship services in, in David's life and ministry right now. God has a different kind of blessing on corporate worship. And it's part of... The types of worship we do is corporate. And you bring the gifts together. Let me just do a a quick review of what happened in the story so we can kind of pick it up and move, move on into the remaining of this story in 2 Samuel chapter 6. But what has happened is David, he, he, it says he was afraid of God, and he was angry. So what happened? What went wrong? And they found out what went wrong when they got in the Word and dug in there. And they left the ark in a nearby home at Obed, Obed-Edom's home for three months. And David probably didn't know what would happen next. But he heard that Obed-Edom was his business, his home, his family, his children, his grandchildren. They were all blessed with the presence of this Ark of the Covenant just sitting in his garage. And David was like, man, I want that blessing. We want it for all our people in the, the capital city. We want to have, I want to have a place of worship. We're going to go all out and worship. David went all out. He had 24-7 worship and prayer. He was the only one that developed worship beyond any other kings. He just developed it with more priests. He had, he had to lower the age of the priests to start, not at 30, at 25, to get enough priests to do all the things he wanted to do with worship. And he said, okay, 
we've, we've got the fear of the Lord now. We can do this differently. And this is what is important to realize for today is that there's many little lessons, if we can get through them, that say, yes, God can revitalize our worship, but there's certain type of essential heart, heart things that need to be there. And we see that in this second chance. God gives David a second chance. And he does it differently. And it's, it's, it's anointed. It's right. God blesses it. He explodes it, right? I mean, it just it sets his... Well, let me just say a couple things. David is the example in the word that God is a God of second chances. He didn't get discouraged. He didn't leave the ark at Obedinam's house. He got in the word, he, and he did it before God the right way the second time. We'll see that more in David's life as we go in this series. And also, it was after today's teaching, this event, that he makes covenant with God, and it's that everlasting covenant that his descendants would be blessed and the Messiah will come from his lineage. That it's a forever covenant. And so this day of worship that we're a second chance, God had to redeem it. His, he messed up. He blew it. Folks, you, you messed up and blew it. Just read David's life. You've got hope. You've got hope. But I want to go into the differences from last time. The first one is wisdom. We've kind of gone over that already. Wisdom, we have to study God's word about worship. Psalms is a book of worship. Do you realize all those were used as the lyrics for worship songs? Whenever you read a psalm, you're in a corporate worship setting when it was originally written for. And you can join in at home with those powerful words of worship. Dig deep. Also, the next one is humility. Some things that we'll see as we go on. One is that this first time uh, he took the ark into the city, uh, that again held the power of God. The mercy seat is where the Holy Spirit would would uh, uh, minister there, and it was sitting right there on top of this covenant, uh, ark of the covenant. That he invited all Israel the second time, not just the thirty choice leaders. This is for everybody. This isn't just for leaders. In fact, I can imagine the pompous and and all the fancy robes that showed up that first time. They were wealthy leaders and they had fancy robes and David had his biggest crown and all of his royal clothes and his entourage around him so he could be seen for miles. And he was there. This is the biggest event. We're bringing the ark in and it failed. This time he says, all Israel, anybody, the poorest person, come on and join us. Because this presence of God is for all of us. This is not a show-off moment. I have the fear of the Lord now, and I'm coming in here with humility. The next one, we ended our message with this last Sunday was holiness, was the other difference. That he, we don't read about this the first time the cart came in, he said he 
told the priests, sanctify yourselves. He said, leaders who come in, you sanctify, you set your part, yourself apart, dedicate yourself for worship, that this is something holy before God. And so they prepared, they made a choice that, hey, I'm created for worship. And, and we make sure that our hearts are right. We ask forgiveness. We ask for cleansing for anything that's going on in our hearts and minds that's not pleasing to God. We set ourselves apart for as holy for this time of worship as holy. The next one, and I looked at the two accounts, is that there was marked joy with this second time bringing in the ark. First Chronicles 15, 6 says, Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers, accompanied by instruments of music, string instruments, harps, and cymbals, by raising the voice with resounding joy. Now, they were loud that first time. They had all the instruments there, plenty of people making a lot of noise. But joy is mentioned twice, again in verse 25 of 1 Chronicles 15. So David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with the house from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. So that is a difference in this second time, and that's part of honoring God, of worshiping, praising God, is with joy. Joy was created by God. Jesus experienced joy on the earth. He was human. He experienced all the emotions, the whole gamut of sorrow and despair, peace and joy. And joy is connected to this celebration of who God is. There's joy. If we can't smile at who Jesus is, what is there to smile about? Is there anyone greater? Is there anyone more beautiful? Is there anyone more amazing if we can't have a sense of peace, a smile, and like, woohoo, hallelujah, and little laughter coming out of us? Because just who Jesus is and how amazing he is. I believe the fear of the Lord brings joy as well. Look at Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. In the fear of the Lord, there is a strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. If there's a strong confidence, there's a stability, there's a peace, and out of peace comes joy, and I believe it comes from the fear of the Lord. You said, I'm right with God. I'm honoring him. I'm, I'm not doing my own thing. I've consecrated, set myself apart. I've made sure I've confessed any sin. I can move forward with confidence, peace, and joy. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one way, to turn one away from the snares of death. Hallelujah, I'm protected. I have the fear of the Lord in my life. I'm protected from death, from these snags, that, that strategic plan that the devil has for me this week. I'm protected from those snares and traps because my heart is right before holiness in the fear of the Lord. I even feel a little trembling. I'm humbling myself with God of fear and trembling. But he gives me all the empowerment to follow through with his life. As we talk about worship and we see, uh, learn more as we look into, let me see, hold on. 
just moved two pages at once, sorry. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. So, and, and it says in uh, second, uh, chapter 6, verse 13, And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. There's a debate out in the commentaries. Uh, the scholars, you know, who are trying to pursue this with its much scholarly, historical uh, understanding have a debate on this. That if he really, every six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, stopped and had this sacrifice of a couple of animals, that that would have been over 2,000 sacrifices. Some say up to 10,000 sacri- you know, 10, animals, maybe 5,000. I mean, these numbers just get huge. There's debate about how far they had to go. I, I, the most common was like 12 to 15 miles they had to walk. That's a, that's a long way for a day. Much less if you stop and do six steps. So I don't see how it all works there. But some say this is he went those first six steps and then had a sacrifice to be sure that no one's going to get struck by light, like, lightning like Uzzah did last, like we read last Sunday three months ago in, the, in his life. And he's like, let's just check. Let's have a time of worship. Let's not go. In. Maybe he did every six steps or that represents some. And he did thousands of sacrifices until they, you know, got there to the, the tabernacle. But either way, he was honoring God with lavishness. All of the, he's saying he's doing it. This is costing him in our day millions of dollars as we'll see as the story. There's, it, as he's, David quoted once other time, that worship, my sacrifice, it's, unless it costs me something, there is no sacrifice. Unless it's, I have to sacrifice, give up something that's valuable, then it's not really worship. And he's going all out to a high level of worship. So he's spending all kinds of money. He's being lavish with his expressions, with what he's going here. And then when he stops and honors God with this sacrifice, he's waiting, isn't he? He's listening. Okay, Lord, you say anything? Are we doing it right? We're doing something wrong? Tell us before you judge us again. We are asking for you to guide us so we don't step into your judgment again. And he's waiting and listening. Listen, folks, we need to stop and worship and listen while we worship. Our hurried days, Stephen Riley's hurried days, cut off the opportunity in the middle of the day to worship and listen and receive that instruction or that green light. Yeah, no, you're good. Keep moving. And that's what he got. He got a green light. Keep doing what you're doing. We need this time of, and I'm going to call this honor. That's the difference. He honored him along the way with lavishness, and he listened. Let's go to another verse. Verses uh, 14 and 16. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. 
So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. This was David expressing his love and honor to God from his heart. He was being very sincere. Far distance from another window looking out, she didn't see that sincerity. It didn't matter to her. And we need to realize in this historical setting, it wasn't just the dancing. It says later on that he uh, was like, you know, disrobed. He was naked before the Lord. Well, he wasn't in his undegrundies. I can be sure of that. He was wearing a linen ephod, which is a priest garment. It's light. It's, it's thin. It, it, it's, it's so you don't sweat in it. And, and he was wearing, like the other priests, he would have been just hidden in the crowd with the other priests. He didn't have his the tallest crown and the fanciest robe and the entourage around him. No, he was in front of that ark, with, worshiping with all of his might. And you could pick him, pick him out because he was dancing and leaping and twirling more than the other priests were. He was going to be the leader. If anybody's going to die today, David said, it's going to be me. And so there was a humility, humbleness expressed that Michael, she grew up in the palace. She grew up royalty wearing when you go outside. You wear the, the royal clothes. You show who you are. You show that, hey, this is my uh, uh, status and the rest of you, you need to serve me. And David was rid of all that. This is for everybody. And I am just a mere man like anyone else. And I'm going to just wear a priestly robe, and join them in worshiping God as we bring this ark in. See, worship begins from the heart. John 4, verse 24, Jesus is talking in this awesome story to a woman who's had five husbands and she's living with the man uh, there in this Samaritan village. So she's Samaritan. She's not pure Jewish. So she would be, pre- they would be prejudiced against her. She's all alone. And he gives her this golden nugget, this broken woman who's been rejected by all the other, uh, you know, cool people in the town and the other ladies who look down at her. Jesus is giving her eternal wisdom and revelation about who he is. And he says, listen, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's a must worship. Jesus said you must worship in spirit and truth. So all this starts right in here in our inner man. It all starts right here because When you say, Jesus, I turn away from my sin, I turn to you, I repent, you come into my heart, he comes into your heart by his spirit. His spirit lives in, your spirit becomes alive now in your heart, your spirit is alive, your heart has got Jesus in it. 
the old man, that old nature is kicked out of the throne of your heart. It still wars in our members, tempting us to go walk places we shouldn't walk and go touch things we shouldn't touch. It still tempts us, but it's not in the throne of our hearts. Jesus is the king of my heart. He's saying this is where worship comes from in spirit and in truth. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be real from sincerity from you. And God, help us with that. And believe, Lord God, that you give us the desire to worship you. And it comes not from our abilities, but from your spirit right here in our spirit, in our heart. So I want to go in and talk a little bit about this, about dancing and other physical outward expressions of worship. But we're seeing here that it says about David that he danced, what, before the Lord. And that's how he sees it. That's how he did it. Yeah, there was over 30,000 people there, but I was dancing before the Lord as if it was just him and me going down the street. His heart was doing this for God. And so the last difference I want to bring up here is that he gave wholehearted worship, and that's being abandoned to God, and he's doing it before the Lord. We don't see that in the first time he brings the ark. And what's so cool is that that is why we chose our vision statement. Abandoned to God and compassionate toward people. That this is the, the heart of God to be as the cross shows very vertical, but also horizontal. And he danced with all of his might. Let's just, let me just tell you right now. We want to be, and I want to be free to dance and not to dance. Why? Because it's before the Lord. See, you're free when you do it before the Lord because it's not about how many people are around or who's in the room. In fact, really, it's important to cultivate these practices alone because that means you're doing it before the Lord when you're alone. And let's just go over some of them that scriptures talk about. Dancing is one. It's mentioned in Psalms and other places. Again, in Jewish culture, that was common. Dancing was common. Men dance. Even if you go to a, a Jewish wedding, they're going to be, those men are going to dance. They're going to be together. They're going to grab the the groom up in a chair, and they're going to dance around the room. I mean, men dance. Jewish men dance. I remember being in the old city of Jerusalem, and there was a, 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 a we heard noises, you know, noise like singing and, and going on, and we walked over that night and looked down, and underneath there was this big room, and a group of, of Orthodox Jewish men were arm in arm, and they were doing some kind of step chanting. It must have been a wedding party, part of a wedding thing going on, and and, and their sounds just echoed down the streets. 
So in that culture, dancing wasn't a big deal for them. But he did it before the Lord, and he did it with authenticity from his heart. I want to say that there's others in the Scripture. Shouting is in the Bible as one of the ways that we express joy and honor to God. Because, hey, we shout for other reasons. Why not shout, Jesus Christ is Lord, hallelujah! If someone deserves a shout, it's Jesus Christ. There's clapping in the Bible's clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph, He is Lord. Clapping is, is an expression of joy and gratefulness. We clap for who? We clap for people that we admire and they've done a great thing. Well, why not Jesus? Let's clap for Him. What an accomplishment. He saved us. He defeated sin and, and the devil and the, the darkness is defeated because Jesus and His work has now transferred us from a kingdom of darkness into His kingdom, the kingdom of light. Come on, let's clap for Jesus. You're awesome. You're amazing, Jesus. <laughs> There's all kinds of physical expressions that can express your heart. But we do it before the Lord, so there's no pressure from other humans. Don't accept that. You do it before the Lord. And worship has the full gamut of expressions of emotions, from joy and shouting down to humbling ourselves. You know, there's not actually a script that, that talks about closing your eyes we, in prayer, but we do it, don't we? It's kind of a practical way to shut out other people and focus on God. But it's actually not a biblical uh, example in there. But, you know, bow your head and close your It's kind of a symbol of bowing humbly, so it can represent that. But there's kneeling in Scripture because you recognize in humility before God that He's the authority. And so have you ever done this at home? Either in worship or prayer, doing a physical posture of what's true in your heart. That you're humbling yourself before this awesome God. Raising up, it says, holy hands, both Old and New Testament, before the Lord. What, what a great expression. God, I'm just catching everything I can. I'm just, I'm just lifting up my countenance to you. I'm looking to you. These physical things are expressions of our heart. They come right, right out of Scripture. You see in the cowboy movies, stick them up, right? And got, I surrender. You surrender by raising your hands. It's like it's a natural thing to do. God, I surrender. I'm not holding anything back. So these are physical. And you do it from your heart when you do them. Or you choose, you, sometimes you sense it's God wants you to do something. To bless Him with that, with those hands raised or kneeling. And you do it because you sense God wants you to. Bowing is another one. We don't bow to our politicians, do we? We don't, we don't live in a kingdom. Uh, that's what's been true of history in most nations. There's a king or queen, and they bow to show 
respect and honor. We don't do that in our culture. It's very unusual. The word, the Greek word, one of the Greek words in the New Testament for worship is proskuneo. It's where we get prostrate from. Laying down before someone. And again, we don't lay down before anybody. We are Americans. We are in a democracy. But when there's a king in the room, he deserves the most physical expression of your heart. And laying prostrate is it. He deserves this. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. There's no king, there's no authority in the earth compared to him. And he's my king. He's my Lord. So God, I will gladly prostrate myself before you. If that expresses my heart, you deserve that honor. You deserve that honor. I'm going to ask the uh, praise team to come on up. I do have a couple of things I want to point out. So I'm not quite done, but getting close. Our Vision statement, abandoned to God and compassion toward people. Do you know compassion toward people is in this story? So out of all this, this sacrifice and this David dancing before the Lord with all of his might, it says that at, at the end he blesses the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. He turns to the people and he blesses them. And then, it, it, this is verse 18 and 19, and then he even gives the people Food. This is over 30,000 people, and he's giving them uh, uh, both men and women and children. He's giving them a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, a cake and raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. So he had compassion on them. They've been persevering with him, doing all this this uh, big uh, you know parade down the street with the ark, and he just unleashes this massive picnic to everybody. In thinking of them. And he's blessed them. And I want to read this passage as well. 2 Samuel chapter 6 starting verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household. Isn't that cool? He has compassion on his, his wives, his children, his grand... Well, he didn't have grandchildren. He's only 37 right now. But he's, he's going to bless them. He didn't have to go do that. He could say, call it a day. I'm going to take a break, and we'll talk tomorrow. No, he comes home to bless his household, and this is what happens. And it says in verse 20, And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today. How sarcastic, my goodness. Uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. 
She didn't give him a hug and say, what a day. Are you tired, honey? How about let me uh, get you something to eat or drink? I mean, you know, I, I saw you from the window. It was incredible. I just, praise God, what a great job you did. And lead. No, she sarcastically shames him for taking off his royal robes and just looking like a regular old person out there just in the crowd worshiping God. She couldn't handle that humility. Is this the key? For David being called a man after God's own heart, that despite all of his victories and all of his royalty and all of his power over the nation of Israel, he could humble himself as just another common person. I'm a mere man. I just want to worship God real good. Is that the key? Listen, these things are revealing why he's called a man after God's own heart. It's not because he lived a great life day in and day out because he made awful sins and mistakes. Verse 21, so David said to Michael, it was before the Lord, not before you, not before the other people who chose me instead of your father and all of his house to appoint me rule over the people of Israel people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. So he had his guitar with him and tambourines and who who knows what else. Verse 22, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Scholars don't know. We don't have an evidence which, which she ended up being barren. Or did David just not call her in the night anymore? Because that wounded her so much, wounded him so much. I don't know, but his humility he is saying, listen, I will be more dignified than this. I'll, I'll be more humble than this if I can. What is worship? We can read a lot of commentaries and get some fancy things. For me, it's out of one of Psalms, Psalms of David. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's worship. It's as simple as that. How do you bless God? He doesn't need anything. He created worship. He likes it. It it puts him in the right place in our heart and lives. We get an instant blessing when we worship him. Because we are assuming our humble position. And he's the one and it blesses him. He likes it. He receives it. We're going to transition to more worship right now.
Lord Jesus Christ. You are the Lord of Lords. Your Father has honored you and placed you above all kingdoms of the earth. Your name is above every name. You didn't have to, but you came to earth as a baby, lived the humble life as a man, suffered greatly, experienced our feelings. Jesus Christ, you were obedient through the 39 lashes. And on the cross, as the perfect lamb, you looked into our size and said, Stephen, I'm dying for you. Your sin is on my body. And I'm saying yes to obey my Father, to be your sacrifice. Jesus didn't have to do it for me, but he did. Jesus didn't have to do it for you, but he did. Jesus was obedient and he proved himself Lord over death and sin and the devil by raising from the grave on the third day being resurrected and live in, in, in releasing that resurrection power through us. He performed miracles. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still performing miracles through us, his family, his body, his church. He transformed lives. Those are miracles. He sets us free from bondages of all kinds. There's not a single type of darkness or bondage that His power cannot break. We can step in that joy and say, I'm free in Christ. In Jesus' name, darkness, you're gone out of my mind, out of my life. And his father honored him and placed him at the right hand of the father, saying, Son, I'm going to send you back to defeat all evil once and for all. You don't know the day and hour, but I'm going to let you know when it's time. And when he comes back, he comes back riding on a white horse with a heavenly army behind him. Uh, a sword of the spirit coming out of his mouth that's the word of God his robes dipped in blood and his words will do a final judgment and destruction on evil attacking him and his kingdom that day he is so worthy to be praised why don't you your hearts for worship thank you Jesus for being our redeemer thank you for being the lamb of God for us thank you for being the true vine giving us your life thank you that you're, you're there's only one way the truth and the life and it's you it's relationship with you And if you're online watching today or later this week, if you're in this room and you don't know if you're a child of God, if you're not sure that Jesus Christ is Lord of your heart, this is a great moment 
to say yes to Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Can everyone just join with me in this prayer? Say it out loud. Dear Jesus, I want your salvation. I need you as Savior and Lord. I turn away from my sins and I turn to you. Wash me by your blood. I'm a new creation now. I'm your child forever and ever. And I believe that you rose from the grave. And you give me that victorious power to live a life worthy of you. I don't want you to be second fiddle in my heart. I don't want you to be in the back seat, but the driver's seat. Sit on my, the throne of my heart today.
never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you'll work.
thank you for all that you are, Lord God. We thank you for who you are, Lord God. Sins are washed away. 
Christ, you are worth celebrating, you're worth honoring as lavish as we can can from the bottom of our hearts. We love you back, Jesus. We adore you. We revere you. We honor you. I want to say a blessing over you, over your week. I'm going to ask the altar ministry teams to become available for prayer. Online, we have a phone number available from now for 30 minutes, available for you to call. And after I say this blessing, people, you're free to leave. It's in, And I know there's children in classrooms. Um, you might need to go somewhere, whatever it is. If you need to go, it's fine. We are going to have more worship songs. They've already... Uh, you know, planned out a handful of songs. Though those who can stay and want to stay, you can stay in here uh, and then get your children in a few minutes. You can get your children and bring them back in. Whatever you think is best uh, with your children. Lord Jesus, this week we want to worship you in new and fresh ways during the day. We want to stop and have moments of worship where we're honoring you and listening to you that you can redirect us you can point us in a new a new way and so lord we we want our hearts i'm sensing and i think many of us are sensing this revitalization of worship in our hearts lord may it not stop today but let it build and grow and have a new dynamic <clears throat> into our week Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless us with this grace. Amen. Have a great week. Feel free to to leave if you need to or stay for worship, whatever is best.